Ladies and gentlemen, I am honored to be joined today by former Washington fullback Darrell Young. He also spent some time in Chicago and Carolina, and he now works for the NFL. Darrell, welcome to the show, man. I'm happy to have you. Hey, appreciate you, man. Thank you for the opportunity and the platform. Absolutely. So today's going to serve as a little bit of a story time. We're going to walk through your NFL journey. But first, I'm going to get some of your thoughts on the current state of the Washington football team, because it's been a busy offseason so far and an exciting time with the Ron Rivera and the new regime coming in, changing some things up. You actually overlapped with a good amount of the staff here when in your time in Carolina. What do you think of the new regime? I think they, uh, they're going to do a great job. You know, Ron Rivera, like you said, he's a culture builder. And, you know, unfortunately, in his business, you don't really have that time to do it. But what he was able to do in Carolina and to, uh, you know, to, to take them to the Super Bowl 2015-2016 uh, season really speaks volume to who he is. And I'm not saying they're going to go to the Super Bowl or anything like that, but I think it's gonna, you're going to start to see some change. And uh, not that Jay was bad, not that Mike Shanahan was bad, not that Jim Zorn was bad, but it's just different, you know. And he, you have a guy who was a former player who's in space now leading. So, you know, every leader comes in with vision. He has his vision and, uh, you know, excited about what they're going to do. They signed Curtis Samuel, seen that overlap with him. He's also from here in New York with me. Um you know, and, you know, what they did with uh, with signing Fitzmagic. Uh, Fitzmagic has put a lot of people out of jobs, man. This guy just keeps doing it, and he'll be the starter and be his 15th team probably starting for. But heck of a dude, excited what they're doing. It's an opportunity to grow. Yeah, I'm super uh, thrilled as a fan about these offseason moves. Curtis Samuel, I know you saw him a little bit as a rookie uh, when he came into Carolina. Speedy guy, you can move around all over. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick is just like a super veteran quarterback. He's been in the league forever. I'm I'm super excited to have him. Absolutely. Now, with that said, let's dive into your career, man, and let's get started with the recruiting process. So you ended up choosing to play Villanova, at Villanova, but what were some of the other yeah. schools interested <laughs> interested in you, and how did you become a Wildcat in the end? You know what? Uh, long story short, Villanova was the only school that offered me. Mm. I was a running back. I uh, had a few schools come in after the fact, like Rhode Island. West Virginia said just sixth on our depth chart. And I was like, I'm not trying to be a six man as a recruit. I'm good. Like, yeah. let's just figure it out. Oh, you have a, it's a prestigious university, great education. And when I'm done, I can almost be uh, guaranteed a job because of the V on the resume. <laughs> I'm signing. Where do I sign? <laughs> that was December 4th, 2004. And, uh, you know, came in as a linebacker, came in as a running back. They switched me to linebacker, and you know, I didn't really have a choice. But at the end of the day, it, it allowed me to play more than I would as a running back or fullback in the spread system. Well, that sounds like an, an excellent choice that a lot of athletes <laughs> might not consider coming out of uh, high school is the, the academic prestige of the university to choose. So good thinking on your part there. And good mentors, man. Tell, it's, uh, it's an experience, not a career. So playing for uh, play, play for the long game. Everything is chess, right? <laughs> Who were some of the relationships that uh, had the biggest impact on you throughout your, your playing days and into now from your recruiting process and college career both? Yeah, so from college, uh, we just, just the upperclassmen. Terrence Reeves was a guy from Florida who had all the intangibles to just be a hell of a player. Alan Backus is from Virginia, um, ended up playing with him, and he's a school teacher now. Greg Miller, Antoine Young, Brandon Harvey, like all of these guys, Salim Karoma, they were my roommates in college. And we had a, we had a guy, I don't want to call him crazy because I never want to, you know, identify an athlete as that. But Mike Holland, man, what a dude. Uh, end, up, end up, you know, getting into some trouble, um, you know, in the back end of the school. But talking about a class that was bonded, uh, we came in, all, most of us started as freshmen, you know. So I think they did a hell of a job recruiting, or maybe it was just about timing. I don't know. But, um, you know, I would say those were my mentors, um, even though it was peer to peer, because we were all grinding to accomplish the same goal. And uh, from the professional standpoint, I had Mike Sellers. I mean, God, the, the guy was 280 pounds at fullback at 6'4", like it's a monster. But I was playing linebacker when I first met him. And it's like, can we cut cut guys in practice? And they're like, no, nah, no legs. But uh, him I had Clinton Portis. I had. Um, you know, Ryan Terrain, who had got drafted in 08, sat out a year and then came back in 2010, was on a practice squad and then ended up starting. So it was so many stories and guys that came into the system, uh, through the system in terms of the Washington offense that uh, really allowed me to be who I was, you know. And um, it's unfortunate that a lot of the guys who are mentors really aren't the big the big names. But you look at guys like Kedrick Golston, Lorenzo Alexander, like these guys were studs. They played you know, 11 plus years. And, you know, Lorenzo just retired out last year at this time. So, you know, thinking about what those guys were able to do afterwards, uh, it was a lot of great guys in that locker room. Santana, number one, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of those names you just mentioned, it's like 
like uh, Ryan Terrain, uh, Lorenzo Alexander, and Kedrick Colson, especially them two. It's like maybe they weren't A-list players, but the longevity of their career speaks speaks for themselves. And I like that you say last year mentors were just your peers because, I mean, iron sharpens iron, as they say. So, iron, man. <laughs> and I, I love the Mike Sellers plug. I grew up a huge Mike Sellers fan, of course. Man, huge is uh, pun intended with that, with that word. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Uh, let's jump back to what you mentioned, switching from running back to linebacker after arriving at Villanova, and you didn't – that's something you were not a fan of at first. What was that process like? How did that unfold? Yeah, so at Villanova, I didn't have the option. Played linebacker. I, I played it in high school, and I actually got a – you know, not to brag on myself, but I had a – you know, I won the best linebacker award in, I don't want to say New York, but Long Island uh, my mm-hmm. junior year senior year so it wasn't unfamiliar territory to me but it was something that I felt like I was literally a, a running back you know in my mind but no, when I got no. to the league uh, it was either do that or get cut switch from you know defense to offense and get cut so it was kind of like reversed you know and uh it was different but uh, at the same time it was an opportunity to get on the field and we always say you know the more you can do but it's really the more you can do for your team and the more that coaches see that so you know build some authentic relationships and uh you know, again, didn't have a choice. Shanahan said, hey, we'll, we're bringing you in. You either want to play fullback, there's only Mike Sellers, or there's 13 linebackers, you're not going to make this team. It's like, all right, cool. That's, you know, you don't, you don't have to write me a book with that. <laughs> yeah, that's not a hard, it's not a hard test to choose the right answer on, if you ask no, me. Not at all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the, in 2009, the, the, that was a Villanova team you weren't a part of anymore. But <laughs> very recently, you were a part of that team. And uh they won the national championship. What was that like to watch from afar? Did you still feel a part of it? Yeah, I did, man, because a lot of the guys were fifth-year seniors. So I actually went to the game in Tennessee, and uh, I ended up sleeping on 95 because of the snowstorm. It was back-to-back weeks of 33, <laughs> 37, and 18. And uh, I just had got released by the Redskins and or the Washington football team. And, uh, you know, I was working at finish line, and I was like, I got to do something for my mindset. So ended up doing that and uh, – you know, it, it was cool. I felt like I was a part of it. You know, it was good to see that. And even though I didn't get a ring, like, hey, I was with you. all my roommates played in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> and going from that, uh, how, what was your draft after your college experience? Uh, what was your draft experience like? Did you have any draft prospects maybe go on day two or day three? Uh, so, you know, they do the one double A, they do the one double A draft, and it's like uh, the mock draft. And, had me going like six rounds. So I'm excited about that. And I was like, oh, damn, it's only one double A guys. Like I'm not ranked at all. So I knew I wasn't going to get drafted, but I thought to myself, if I got an opportunity, I feel like I'm athletic enough. I feel like I'm smart enough. And I feel like I'm just, I can be in the room with those guys. And, you know, opportunity separated us. Football's not big in New York. So I wasn't going to get highly recruited, but I, I believed in myself and I trusted myself. So experience was miserable and great at the same time. I ended up getting a tryout. Uh, Anthony Aldridge was a running back. I'll never forget. They just had drafted Brian Arakpo. We're doing one-on-one punt drills, and Arakpo runs out, and I said, well, if this, you want to get noticed, you got to go with him. So I ran out with him. We do a punt drill. I knew he wouldn't be able to run with me. Uh, speed was something that, you know, uh, it was a gift of mine. I ran 449 coming out and oh, you know, literally uh, ran down on a punt drill, and Anthony Aldridge was filling the punt. I said, all right, if I hit this dude, what's going to happen? If I don't hit him, what's going to happen? the hell with it there is no tomorrow so I hit him we only had helmets on so we got into a little scuffle I just held them on the ground they took me out of practice on me right there oh so wow. I think it was a good business move it, it, it wasn't best for the team because you know he didn't get hurt but I could have really ended the guy's uh NFL experience but you know it's it's a business you know you got to get in how you get in and yeah. I got in if I didn't do that so literally pulled me out of practice that day and did it <laughs> So this was that you were signed originally as a linebacker and spent the first season bit first bit of the season as a linebacker before switching back to running back fullback. And yeah. uh, what what did Mike Shanahan? How did he approach you about that? Was he the one that approached you about the the position switch again originally? So anyone knows if a scout comes in the room, uh, comes down the stairs, and he has a clipboard, you're getting cut. So. What I mean by that, I was in the weight room. Excuse me, let me back up. We had the team meeting. It was March 15, 2010. Some things you just don't forget. Uh, walk in the linebacker room, Kirk Olavadotti, who's now in Green Bay, uh, was the linebacker coach the year before, but now he was the assistant. So I walked in. The guy that was leading the show for the linebacker said, who the hell are you? It's Luz Banos. And I said, what the hell do you mean? Who am I? Like, you can't just walk in an NFL building. 
you have to be under contract. And he was like, who is this guy? And the assistant guy now was like, hey, D.Y., you'll be playing the Jack linebacker, backing up Rocky McIntosh, and we're going to draft Perry Riley. And I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so I'm already mad. I go down in the weight room. Uh, Scout comes down the stairs. I see him. I'm like, all right, I hope this dude isn't coming for me. He comes to talk to me like, hey, Shanahan wants to see you. And I was like, what the hell does he want? So now I'm sweating. I'm angry. I walk in Shanahan's office. He's like, hey, Daryl, how's it going? I said, it's Darrell. He's like, oh, sorry, how's it going? And I was like, I just don't understand why you guys are cutting me. Like, why did you make me drive back from New York and you're going to cut me 14 hours later? It doesn't make sense. Literally, he let me he let me babble on for about 30 seconds, felt like 10 minutes. And um, he was like, can I speak to you now? And I was like, yeah, but I just had to get it out. I don't understand. And he was like, I just wanted to know if you wanted to move from fullback to line, uh, from linebacker to fullback because we're going to draft two linebackers. You're not going to make this team. And we have one fullback and we don't really have any prospects right now that we're looking at. And based on the film that you put on tape last year from being on the practice squad, we think you would be the perfect candidate. Fat back backtrack a little bit when I was coming out for the combine, uh, going through the excuse me, the pro day, Kyle Shanahan, the Houston Texans were there. Kyle Shanahan was looking at me as a fullback. So I ended up doing fullback drills that day. Fast forward two years. Now I'm an assistant with Kyle Shanahan at fullback for something I didn't even see. So long story short, I didn't have a choice, but it was the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, what was that like? Did you know after you leaving the practice squad with Washington, did you have any idea that you might be back for the upcoming season? Or did you think you might have? Did you have any plans to alter careers or anything like that? You know what? That was the first tough decision I had to make because I actually fired my agent after I made the roster. And I did that because how do I go from the practice squad, a guy undrafted, going to the practice squad, getting cut, working at finish line, didn't have not one workout, but I'm the starting fullback the next year yeah. uh, towards the end of the season. It made no sense to me. So I felt like my agent wasn't working. Um, I didn't feel like he knew anyone because this is a relationship business and not to knock him, but it wasn't the best for what I needed. And I ended up signing with another guy and, you know, I ended up working with him through the next contract and things like that. So the lesson there is, you know, it's about a relationship, you know, and not not choosing the guy that you think will be the best at because he pitches you the best idea. Yeah. And let's fast forward a little bit to 2010. One of my least favorite games of all time watching actually has a great memory. from November 15th. That's right. (laughs) You knew exactly where I was going. That was a terrible game to watch as a fan, I must say. But you got your first NFL touchdown pass or reception, I mean, that game. Not only was it from Donovan McNabb, a household name, but against his former team. How cool was that? Walk me through that moment. Yeah, so I actually just uh, spoke to Sean McDermott about it because he was the defensive coordinator uh, two weeks ago now. And I said, Coach, I just want to say thank you. And he's like, what are you talking about? Well, I said, November 15th, um, 2010, second quarter, you allowed me to score a touchdown on an I-right I, I uh, Z-motion, fake 19-week keep right fullback slide. And he was like, you remember that? And I was like, yeah, I knew Asante Samuel was going to slip. But the play before, Mike Sellers got poked in the eye. And Fred Davis went down the sideline for uh, like 80 something and got caught on the three yard line. So they're like, all right, you're in. And I'm like, who me? I get in the huddle. McNabb says that. And he's like, I'm coming to you fat boy. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So I ran it. And then I just couldn't believe it. It was surreal. And uh, it was my mom's birthday. That was, that oh, was, the wow. best. yeah, it was my mom's birthday. And uh, that topped it off. My brother was in Afghanistan. So it was one of those things that he was watching it live. My mom was at the game. Like it, it was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, that that season or that game, I mean, as we talked about, was not not fun to watch. When I had Logan Paul nothing. going on. Yeah, yeah, I, nothing first quarter. <laughs> the first play, Mike Vick went to play. the South Jackson deep. But, and he backpedaled. You didn't even mention yeah. that. Backpedaled on us. <laughs> it was disrespectful. I asked Logan Paulson when I had him on the show about that game. I asked him if it was expected. Uh, did, did that week of practice at all just seem off to you or was it just – just a and remember pregame we were end up we ended up fighting LeBron and you know uh Deshaun got into a little scuffle oh my and Nab was like you don't want to piss this guy off so we're on the sideline I remember McNabb is standing there and I just always stayed next to the quarterbacks because I like to see what hear what they're thinking so I'm standing next to him I also knew the pitchers would be coming because that's his first game in uniform still well one of the first home games in uniform so He's like, oh, S-H-I-T, they're going deep. He was like, oh, tell LeBron to back up, tell him to back up, tell D-Hall to back up. And I remember D-Hall, uh, I think, I want to say we were in cover three, maybe cover two, I don't remember, but he had the flat. And uh, literally threw the ball, man, he was like, it's a touchdown. And I was like, damn, he called it. Like, how did you see that? 
he's like, I just knew Deshaun with emotions a certain way. I'm like, you didn't think to say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, you just don't. That dude, he's a monster, man. It's the reason why he's still doing it at a high level. Oh yeah, he he's got speed for sure. He's always always finds himself open down the field. But yeah. right, a little off the cuff question of what might who ended up being your favorite quarterback to kind of stick behind and listen to their comments throughout a game, maybe. You know what? People are probably gonna laugh, but I'm probably the closest with RG three. But Sexy Rexy was my guy. Like I love Sexy Rexy, man. Like people, people would criticize him, but Rex played in the Super Bowl more than you know, more than probably sixty percent of the players in the NFL can say as you go through it. You know what I mean? But uh, I love Rex, man. He gave you a chance, you know. And uh, people don't look at it like that because. That year, we were just struggling to find identity. I mean, Dante Stallworth just hadn't really came back being with the Patriots. We had Jabbar Gaffney. We had Terrence Austin, who was young. Eleven, nine receivers made the active roster. And then we had Terrence Austin on practice squad. Uh, Anthony Aldridge, um, that was the year 2011. And Leonard Hankerson came out of Miami. Like, drafted Roy Hallou, had Evan Royster. Like, all these guys were in there. And uh, we were just struggling to find identity, so... I have heard uh, multiple former players talk very highly of Rex as a player and as a persona in the locker room. So man, 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 Rex, Rex, one of those guys just that he'll look, he'll be looking this way and throw the ball over here and piss the deep. <laughs> like it pissed him off every time. And it was funny because he was like, I could do this with my eyes closed. And I'm like, Rex, just do this. Just do it all the time. Like you're yeah. the man. Do what you want, man. <laughs> Speaking of which, what did you think of the decision to go from McNabb to Rex Grossman at the end of that 2010 year? Um, you know what? We were, again, trying to find identity. You have to see what you, what you what's out there. You know, how do you know what a player can do if he doesn't get an opportunity to perform in a game? Because practice is one thing. Things are scripted. So it's different. But when you get out in the game, I mean, they could have been run, running cover three all week, and now they're a cover two or cover one team, you know? So really just being able to adjust on the fly and to build a winning culture, you got to see what's out there. We've seen it with, uh, you know, Rivera doing it numerous times and what he did with Kerrigan and stuff like that. So. Exactly. And moving on to 2011, this was your first year with a major role. You were the starting fullback and how beneficial were those first two seasons of the 2009, 2010 going into that year? Uh, you talk about adversity. I knew what I didn't want. I told Shanahan actually in that meeting, I'm not going home. It's not an option. So I got a family to take care of. Um, I need to, I, I need to make money. And unfortunately, I love playing this game. So this is the way I'm going to feed my family. And I'm going here. And he was like, I hear you. A lot of guys say it. Just show it on the field. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, 2011 came, played the Steelers. And this was, this was one of the defining moments for me. Uh, I came in the locker room. We were playing the Steelers. And Bobby Turner was the running back coach. And he said, don't F this up. That's what, that was his comment to me before the game. Don't F this up. We fought, we fought to be here today. And he said, I'm specifically talking about you being the number one fullback. We fought. And I was like, all right, like scared the hell out of me again. Yeah. <laughs> Went out, nice catch, uh, blocked well. Mike Sellers was still a mentor, even though they had put him uh, in a secondary role, he was still mentoring me as if he was number one, you know? And that's what I really respected about the guy because you really learn about someone when they're in a situation where they can't control their destiny now, you know? And, uh, Mike was just one of those guys, you know, very open, transparent, honest, told me when I didn't do something well, but it came from an, a compassion place. It was empathetic. It wasn't criticizing, like, I'm betting you. It was like, hey, I've seen you do better, but approach it like this. You know what I mean? So it was that positive, negative, positive theory. So I'm coming into it like, oh, he said something positive, and then I'm leaving positive, so I really forget what you said, or it's taking the pressure off, you know? So it's uh, you know, it's a lot of mentors, man, a lot of good guys. I'm really happy to hear that sellers seem to embrace the passing of the torch more so than turning bitter and taking it out on you in any sort of way. On that 2011 staff, there was a lot of young up and coming talent. It was Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur. Those are the three big names. Do you think that Washington should have had more success with all of them on the staff? They were young, figuring it out. Kyle was really the only one who called plays at that point, uh, being in Houston. That's the coordinator. Uh, Matt LaFleur was a younger guy. McVay was the same age as me, <laughs> you know. So he, uh, I, I said to McVay, once John Embry left and took the position as the head coach at Colorado, I said to my agent, actually, and we laughed about it. I said, he'll be a head coach in the next seven years. It took him six. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was like, you said that. And I was like, you can tell by the way a guy's demeanor is like, when you're smart, 
but you articulate it well, and then you're a damn good person, like sky's the limit of where you're going to go. And that's Sean. And, you know, it, 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 I kill you. I mean, we had a staff of guys who got it, you know, and it, it transitioned over in 20, into 2012. But uh, 2011 was really about, again, finding out who we were. And someone that had a really good year that year, but ultimately a disappointing career was Fred Davis. He's someone that put – he had all the athletic ability. And in that year, he played in only 12 games but had over 700 yards. What was it like to watch someone that was that gifted, that talented, just kind of not be able to put it together? You know what? I'm not going to say he didn't put it together. It's what everyone else expected out of him because in his mind, and I know Fred, Fred did what he what he could and what he was able to do. He got suspended, him and Trent, for those last four games of the 2011 season. But uh, Fred was a damn good dude, man, and unfortunately tore his Achilles the next year. But I wouldn't say he didn't pan out. I wouldn't say he didn't live up to expectations. I just think – Fred did what Fred was able to do at that moment, you know, and to take it to the next level, it would have took some more time, you know, but he was a hell of a player. Oh yeah. He definitely had some athletic ability to him. Yeah. And moving on to 2012, this was a special year as a fan. This is, I was 12 years old and we went on a seven game win streak. I thought we were the greatest team ever. What was it like <laughs> to be a part of that as a player? That just had to be a blast. That was my favorite season of my NFL experience. Uh, as anyone probably would say, that was part of that that club that year. Excitement. Uh, I never felt the stadium shake the way it did. Like we played Dallas on that Sunday night game. Like that whole seven game streak. Like we just didn't know, but we believed. And Shanahan came in before the bye, right during the bye week, and said, "All right, we're gonna bench the starters probably after this next week. Uh, we're gonna reevaluate with three and six right now. So everyone's job is on the line." We came back. When I say practices were better, like, I don't know what happened during the bye week. We all found out the niche. I came home. I remember that. And I was like, damn, I'm about to be cut. Like, I can't do this, man. So uh, we ended up, you know, just uh, making a run for it, man. And we lost to Carolina right before the bye week. And then we came out of it, played Philly, and uh, scored a touchdown that week. Came back, played Minnesota the next week, scored a touchdown that game. So it was good. It was good. I think we uh, we finally clicked. You know, we finally figured out who we wanted to be, you know, but it was also our uh, our downfall in the back end. (laughs) Throughout the entirety of your playing career from middle school, high school, whenever to to the NFL, had you ever had a coach come in and say something so drastic like that? Like, we're just going to start benching players, just figure out what we have just because this season seems lost almost. Yeah. And it wasn't even like that. My uh, college coach told me that, I wasn't going to be anything because uh, I didn't work hard. So right then I took it as a shot. But to be honest, now that I'm older, I was lazy as hell. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to bring something out of me that I didn't even see in myself, you know, but I've heard him say some other things to players that I didn't agree with. He didn't say to me, uh, probably would have choked him, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at the same time, like looking back on it, man, it was so many things that I could have done to develop, to get to the space. And it probably would have been an easier transition getting into the game. You know, instead of learning on the phone about a lot of things. So I was lazy, but I would probably say that was really the only instance. And then when I was nine, I had another coach tell me I wasn't going to be anything. Oh, actually, the assistant principal at the high school, I never failed to shout him out on calls because I appreciate him so much. Told me I wasn't going to be SHIT. I was going to be a statistic. I had a, uh, I graduated high school with a three nine. I didn't ask anyone for anything. And to be honest with you, I'm getting, getting my master's right now at Georgetown and I can't wait to see him in person so I can just yeah. shake his say thank you I'm not even mad just thank you for seeing something that I didn't even see that's all I'm gonna say. constructive criticism can always be some of the best advice you ever get that's it man that's it he hated me I don't know why I really don't give a f a f no but uh really don't care but at the end of the day I'm not gonna dwell on it man it's about the story that you tell and you know where you come out of it from there now jumping back to RG3 that was a magical year he had his rookie year but his career didn't or hasn't lived up to expectations for that media and fans have placed on him. But with that said, his rookie season was spectacular. What can you tell me about his leadership and demeanor throughout that year? And did it feel sustainable in the midst of it? I was nervous for him because there was a lot going on, but you have to capitalize and monetize at the moment, you know, and uh, a lot of people would say, you know, Shannon, it's Shanahan's fault. It's, it's Robert's fault. Like at the end of the day, it's, it's on the athlete to go out there and play and do what they want to do. He uh, was a hero for seven games on one leg. And I always tell people, like, Barack Obama, if he for the inauguration, and you had a chance to be up there with him, and you 
had a cold. Are you going to miss that? <laughs> like, we didn't go to the playoffs after that under Robert. You know what I mean? So, and then we we'll see what the season looked like the next year. But um, he was a hell of a dude, man, leader. Uh, one of my favorite people that I've ever come across because I've never met anyone of that stature who was bigger than Obama at the time. And I'll argue with that with anyone. I've seen it in person. Like, we were at an event and I seen who flocked to who. <laughs> Not seen Barack's my I love Barack, but. I seen who where people flock to, and it was one of those things like, damn, this dude's bigger than the president here. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is crazy, man. But uh, we we still joke about it to this day. But um, you know, he's just a good dude, man. Good, good dude. Good, good dude. I remember. I think it was uh, maybe after that 2012 year or something. Obama released a comment saying, like, I think RG three should learn how to slide. And I think if the if the president is releasing comments about you like that, you're probably <laughs> on par with them in celebrity wise. <laughs> so as the as a rd3 drama kind of unfolded over the years was it felt in the locker room by you guys or is that what something that was more media and fan driven in your eyes man i tell you what it was scary because scary is not a word it was uh it was one of those things that like it was surreal i'll say uh we were playing we get ready to play kansas city it was snowing outside there were 42 people in the stands probably they blew us out but in pregame i remember it coming out like oh the uh the Redskins are going to move on from Shanahan. He doesn't want to be there. And then he walks out of the locker room and we're like, oh. And him and Adam Schefter are close. So we're like, did he say that? Or is are these just reports? Are they true? Like, where is this coming from? So it was uh, it was nerve-wracking to know that the guy who brought me in was not going to be there. And with new regime comes new leadership. But I just had signed a contract. So I knew I was good. But then I started looking up coaches and I realized Jay was going to get the job. So I knew that under him in four years that uh, the fullback Presley, who was up in Cincinnati, only had 91 snaps in four years. So that was the research that I did, you know, which was less than 4% of the snaps, less than 2% of the snaps versus I was playing 40 snap, 40% of the snaps a game. Like you see Ushek playing down with the 49ers. So, yeah, it was just different, man. All the rumors. Um the locker room was down because, you know, you just don't know. You don't know. The locker room's going to look different under a new head coach, uh, new position coaches, who's going to stick around, who's going to leave. So we kept a lot of guys around that first year after uh, Shanahan got fired, but it was just different. And how was the transition to Jay Gruden, not for just you, but for as a team as a whole? Do you think it went pretty smooth? Yeah, I just think we were patting ourselves on the back from 2012, and I don't know if we ever really recovered. And I'll still say it. I don't know if Washington's ever recovered because they're still talking about what RG3 did in 2012, you know? So I think we patted ourselves on the back for making the playoffs, but the ultimate goal was to get that Lombardi trophy. And, uh, you know, it, it deterred us from reaching the goals moving forward. But uh, Jay was cool. Uh, Jay was young. He was a, in the sense of being a head coach. He was a coordinator for four years up in Cincinnati. Um, you know, had Andy Dalton, had personalities like Chad and, and, uh, and T.O. But at the same time, uh, he came into a lot of personalities and they brought in D-Jack and they brought in, you know, Pierre was there and going into his third year of a deal. And we still had Hankerson who was still trying to uh, have a showing out because he was coming back from that, that uh, hip labor surgery. So, you know, it was good, but uh, it was a lot more we could have did under Jay. Mm -hmm. And what were your thoughts on the quarterback room after his first year? I think it was RG3 was on his way out. It was Kirk and Colt were really the two names we had going into the next season. Were you comfortable giving either of them the reps or did you hope to attack at that position? So a lot of people don't even remember that in 2014, all three of them played. RG3 started, he got hurt. Kirk came in, Kirk got benched. They played Colt. Uh, they, yeah, they benched Kirk, put Colt in. Yeah. RG3 came back after the bye week for Minnesota. They benched him for Colt. Colt got hurt in the Giants game. RG3 came back in. So it was a roller coaster, and people also don't remember in 2015, RG3 was a starter going into training camp, and whatever happened, I don't know. Kirk ended up starting, and we went to the playoffs that year. But uh, I trusted all of them. I still do, and I told Kirk he would, you know, I'd probably uh, pro I'd do it out there a little too soon, but I said, you have a chance to be Aaron Rodgers in the sense of backing up and learning. Now I know Brett Favre had a lot of experience, and I don't want to say that about RG3, but it was more so – you have a chance for four years to sit and learn. And we've seen what Mahomes was able to do. Yeah. I'll credit Alex Smith because he was behind him. And Alex Smith was 13 and three that year, you know? So, um, so I'll credit a lot to the guys that were in front of him and paved the way, but uh, trusted all of them still do love them all. <laughs> I will say about that RG three game against the giants when he, he, I think he came in in the middle of the game or something and he actually played pretty lights out. 
he almost brought that game back for us. And that's one of my favorite RG3 memories just because it was after he had uh, been through a lot of negativity and he came in and played pretty well. And people were like, hey, maybe he's still got a little something to him. But speaking of that 2015 season, did did you expect Kirk's breakout at all? You just said you believed he was capable. But, I mean, he still – I think his numbers were like 29 TDs to like 10, 11 picks, something like that. It was a nice year for him. Yeah, the system works. You know, once you get once you get a guy who understands it, but the system didn't change from uh, Shanahan to Jay. They called it a few other things, but Sean McVay was still behind it too in a lot of ways. So he knew that Jordan Reed and what he was great at. He knew Trent Williams. So it wasn't like Jay was coming into foreign territory in terms of what he was going to do. So when they installed the playbook, and I was like, this is the same thing we were doing. Like, uh, is this across the league? So even when I went to Chicago, I'm like, this is the same offense. Like, nothing changes, you know, but – um. But uh, yeah, it, 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 Kirk was good, man. He, we knew when he got drafted, uh, we would be doing like two minute drill, and like I don't say RG three was struggling, but he would miss out on something. But Kirk was watching, and he would come in and be like, "All right, cool, check here, run this way, and then thumbs down the other way." Something that simple seems simple, but you're like this to receivers, and then you tell them the line what to do. So he got it like that, but he had a chance to observe, you know, and then go in and do it versus RG three is doing it fresh. So it looks like this guy's developed more, and it's like, yeah, he got a chance to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Got 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 a minute to sit back and assess the situation first. Um, In that 2015 year, though, uh, we had another great one of my favorite games as a Washington fan. Arguably, Kirk's shining moment. Uh, You play Tampa Bay uh, down 24 to nothing, I think, and come back to win 31 to 30. What was a a part of it? What was it like to be a part of that comeback? Man, it was good. I'm looking for the game ball right now. It's happening in my living room, but that we are able to come together as a team, you know, and. uh, really show that we can overcome things as long as we play together. And we were starting to gel a little bit. Uh, I don't even know if D-Jack was back then. I don't remember, but he had hurt his hamstring. Remember? Uh, oh, actually, that was the year before. But, um, yeah, we were just trying to figure it out. Then, he, then Kirk took a knee to him in Philly, the Philly game oh, before yeah. halftime. <laughs> that play, that play <laughs> lives in my brain forever. <laughs> I was like, Kirk, what the hell are you doing, man? But whatever. Hey, we won the game. We got to the playoffs. It didn't even matter that last week when we played Dallas, so it was all good. <laughs> Do you know anything about that play? Because Jay Gruden recently talked about it in interviews, I think, and he said he was blaming it on Pierre Garçon. I think it was probably just a nickel slip up by Kirk, but I was so mad on that play. I was so mad. Oh, man. I'm just going to say I plead the fifth, and it was on everyone, man. Yeah, okay. That's <laughs> a good one. Uh, all right, cool. That's what we're doing. Whatever. All right. <laughs> That's what <laughs> we're doing. On. Yeah. Uh, and to in that year, you guys uh, fin- finished on a four-game win streak. Can you compare that win streak to the seven-game win streak in 2012? Hell no. There's a lot of excitement. We didn't expect that. And we were excited getting going in to play Green Bay, though. So if you remember, D-Jack uh, went to the goal line. And I think if he would extend it, that was a touchdown. That changes the out- – not the outcome of the game, but – changes the uh the overall you know approach to the game throughout the game from a green bay standpoint you know so um yeah it was just, you know, nothing compared to 2012 man nothing that djx play i think it was on the opening drive of the game I was, I was again i was so mad he was like a couple inches away i felt like but it is what it is i was still reach. Pretty, yeah, yeah just reach it was still <laughs> a fun season to watch i think that was the same year that we or we, I wasn't a part of the team, as you know, but as a fan. Oh, you were part of it, man. Social responsibility. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, then we, we beat Green Bay on Thanksgiving. I think it was that season, and it, that was another one of my favorite games. Uh, that might have been the following year. Rob Kelly went off that game, but it was just a really, really fun team. Yeah, that was the next year. Yeah, that was, that that was the following. next year, yep. Oh, my bad. I shouldn't have brought yeah. that one up then. But um, That's all good. It's all good. Uh, but, yeah, I wanted to ask about the dynamic between Matt Jones and Alfred Morris because Alfred Morris has had a really good uh, – he had a really good career in the Burgundy and Gold, of course. He's still playing in the league. And Matt Jones came in as a third-round rookie with a lot of upside. He had a really good rookie year. Kind of fizzled out after having some fumbling issues. But was there – was were they a complementary duo or was there kind of some tension in between the two? Nah, no tension. That's not Alfred. Alfred mentored uh, Matt just like he would if Matt was on the practice squad, you know, like he was mentoring a guy that you always want to prepare guys to be, you know, be the next guy up. Uh, Matt brought a different element because not saying Alfred couldn't catch. He just wasn't as much of a threat in the past game as Matt was. So Matt was almost that complete back versus Alfred knew everything. 
So they were great. I'm not going to say D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart, very different, you know, guys, but, you know, guys who got it and were able to capitalize and uh, really created a competitive advantage based off what they were good at. And uh, Alfred was a one cut back. He knew that. Like, I'm not going to outrun you in the open field, but I'm going to get there. <laughs> you know, yeah. Matt Jones could take it the distance. He did it that second game of the year on a screen pass at the right sideline, you know. So yeah. um, the thing about it from that standpoint, you, they just complement each other well. But Alfred is one of the most nice human, nicest human beings you'll ever meet in this, in this world. Never had anyone said anything bad about him. He'll talk to the mailman just as well as the janitor for an hour and not realize his wife is in the car waiting. <laughs> just, Alfred. just Alfred. That's awesome. I love I loved Alfred's career in D.C. I mean, came in as a sixth rounder and he just played, outplayed that draft stock by far. But uh, something Matt Jones, ended up, he was fast and he was able to run over defenders as well. He's a big guy. But uh, something he struggled with was fumbles. Do you think if a running back gets fumbling issues in their careers, that's something they can – recover from or is it something that might just be a black spell of death uh i would say tiki barber you know tiki was one of the guys that had fumbling issues he corrected and tiki barber is tiki barber you know he's you know a legend so uh absolutely you can fix it this is about the running back and about habits first you form a habit then the habit forms you you know so yeah that's a good that's a that's an interesting phrase first you form a habit then the habit forms you now go Going back to that playoff game, did you know that that would be your last game in the in the Burgundy and Gold in, in D.C.? Yeah, I did because they weren't speaking to me about uh, extensions. Um, I barely played on offense anymore. Special teams coach didn't like me for whatever reason. I don't know, maybe because I was uh, Danny Smith's guy who had went to Pittsburgh. You know, I, I don't know. Um, he said something slick to me. I said something back in the, uh, the meeting and – yeah, it was just all bad. I ain't gonna put this spill of beans, but it was all yeah. bad. I mean, no cursing or anything. He just said something slick, and I had some. I'm a New Yorker. I say slick stuff back. <laughs> just natural, you know. So you come at me, I'm gonna come at you. If it's jokes, if it's serious, then I'm gonna back away because it's a respect thing, you know. But uh, I did that, and he held the grudge, and I knew he was one of the guys that said, "Don't bring him back." I know that, and he'll probably hear this, and he knows it, but I know, <laughs> so yeah. I'm, okay. I'm okay with it. Um, I did know. I cried. It was hard. After being in one place for, you know, seven years, uh, it was one of the time, first times I felt alone, uh, something, first time I felt like something didn't love me as much as I loved it back, you know, so it was my first reality, like, this is really an experience, you know, so I ended up doing an internship at Under Armour, just to uh, clear my brain, but to really start working on something different, and uh, I did an internship with uh, NBC, or Comcast, which is now NBC Washington, and the first day I was in there, they had me cutting up film that I just played in, in the production. I, I quit. I cried. And I was like, I can't do this. I'm going to be on TV. Or I'm leaving. <laughs> like, I can't do it. And that you know, some TV stuff didn't work out. They brought in Santana, whatever. Cool. I signed to Chicago and uh, got cut and, you know, all that good stuff. <laughs> what was that like finding your way to Chicago? Who was someone that reached out to you? Was it a position coach you had worked with in the past or was there just interest from the front office? It's interesting. Um, again, it was the same offense. Dow Logan was the offensive coordinator. They ran the same system as Kyle. They just called it different. So instead of 14 week or they called it uh, Robert, Robert and Billy, you know, um, so it was just really just learning the words, but it was the same thing, same scheme. Uh, but to be honest, I just got eight. I got a call during the minicamp. My agent said they want to bring you in and work out. And I was like, all right, let's do it. When do we fly? You know, and then uh, they had a younger guy who they ended up keeping. He was cheaper. Probably played better than me. I don't. I don't know, but I play. I did what I could, you know. So yeah. I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> Looking back at your DC career, if you had to choose one quarterback and one coach uh, from your, those years to start a franchise with, if you were the GM, who would you choose? It could be position coaches, coordinators, whoever. Mike Shanahan, without a doubt. One of the uh, greats. Yeah, Kyle will be calling the plays because I love his damn offense. Quarterback, I think Kyle does a great job of catering to whoever's on the center, so I don't give a damn. They were all good, so I'm not going <laughs> to yeah, Just give me the ball on third and one. I'm cool. <laughs> and after spending some time in Chicago and Carolina, who are some of the players or coaches that, that you got grew to be the closest with uh, out of your time there? So I would say the Chicago staff, uh, Stan Drayton was the running back coach. He's over at Texas now. Uh, told the truth, but he 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 was it was authentic engagement. He related and met us where we were, not where he thought where he thought we were, you know. So I, which I thought was cool, and then really tried to 
develop a plan to equip us and empower us to, you know, see where his vision was for when he took over the running back position uh, in Chicago. But the uh, quarterback coach at the time was Dave Ragone. He's now the offensive coordinator for the Falcons. Uh, I think who else? John Fox was just damn good, man. Um, the tight end coach was Frank Smith. He actually just went to the Chargers, I believe it is. Um, so they had a great, they had a great young staff over there, man. Just some guys doing some really good things. Um, and then Carolina, the whole locker room, man. The whole locker room was amazing. Luke Keekley is probably one of my favorite players ever. Just to, just to be alongside. He could talk crap. He doesn't even talk crap. He'll just call out the play and say, Hey, I knew where you were going the whole time. And then help you, and then help you up. And I'm like, how are you this nice, but this good on the field? You know, him and Shaq Thompson, probably my two favorite down there. And then we drafted, they drafted Chris McCaffrey that year. And uh, so C-Mac was cool, man. Fozzie Whitaker was there. Um, Cameron Artis Payne was a running back. Stu was a little bit older. Uh, it was just a great room, man. They drafted Alex Arma, who's still a fullback there, yeah. I believe, now. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of good things, man. A lot of good things. As a fan, like a casual football fan, I'm really sad that Luke Keekley is no longer playing. I mean, I want him to do what's good for his health, of course, but he was so fun to watch. Just a stud at middle linebacker. Me too, man. I text him, like, Luke, what are you doing, man? Like, you can shut up my Madden game now. Like, I always left you because I know you're going to get to the ball. And, I mean, there was a game where he was playing cover two and went to the other side, even though the quarterback was looking that way and picked it off. It was on team. <laughs> I want to say it was a Sunday night game or whatever, but he did it. I'm like, this dude's unbelievable, man. Like, how do you do that? <laughs> hey, if you have any persuasive say with him, Washington could use a linebacker. Maybe he could kind of come out of retirement and help out his old coach. I don't even know what Luke's doing now. This is part of the problem, too, when guys leave the game. We just kind of go radio silent, one, because we want to be left alone, or two, it's because we're just in a dark place, you know. So we need to do a better job of that, i.e. Vincent Jackson, Lewis Nix, yeah. you know, got that from this year. Exactly, yeah. Uh, the mental health is a very important aspect of life, and it's something that is not always talked about enough. But uh, speak, speaking of post-career, what – I know you work with the NFL now. How did you end up in that role? And can you talk a little bit about what you do? Yeah, it's not about what you know, not about who you know. It's about who knows you. So it's a relationship business at the end of the day. And I called my director of player engagement uh, literally as I got cut from Carolina. And uh, it was Malcolm Black. And I said, hey, Malcolm, I just need an opportunity, man. I'm not asking for a job. I'm looking for an opportunity to really grow. And I love the position that you're in. How do I do that? And he was like, stay tuned. And uh, Stephen Bone was a guy I grew up with who was on the Redskins as well, worked in the league office. Two years before he, um, two years before I applied for the internship, he uh, came to my, my camp and he was just raving about how much fun he was having working in the NFL office. And I was like, they don't even like players over there. Like, what are you talking about, man? All they do is find us. Like, how could you like doing that? Long story short, um, I called him too and then got an internship and, Went through the events department for six months. Went through, went through the uh, program for six months. Sorry about that. Daughter just came home. No <laughs> uh, went through a program, an internship for six months, and then got hired full time as a manager of player engagement. And uh, now just you know overseeing uh, eight teams from the NFL office and really uh, providing resources and equipping players while serving them. You know, during and beyond their NFL experience. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's just like you help them with services provided by the NFL and such like that. Yeah, so one of the things that we don't know, and let's just call a spade what a spade, you know, Sports Illustrated in 2010 put out that 78% of players go broke two years after they're done playing or not. It's not an accurate number because they're counting guys who literally don't play a game, but whatever. It's reality is perception, right? Or perception is reality. So that's the number because that's what the world thinks. Um, but really trying to, you know, mitigate all risk and being upfront and proactive to programs that we do for players to, uh, you know, whether it be around financial education, uh, personal development, professional development, career development, uh, going back to school with continuing education, like all of these things, we put a plan in place for not each guy, but we try to map it across 32 and what we've seen in terms of trends and what guys leave the game and what's, uh, what's some of the education that we need. So we don't make those mistakes and we put a plan in action based off of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I'll, I'll let you go in just a few minutes here, but I got a, two more questions uh, right off the bat. I want you to dedicate this to a player of the episode, just someone that you love playing with. It could be that you, this yeah, episode. Chris, Tom, Chris Thompson, man, because he's a, he's a young guy. He broke his back again last year, and he's a guy who had a hell of an experience on the field and uh, still doing it. I'm not sure what Jacksonville will do, if they'll bring him back or not, but uh, talk about a dude who 
you know, was supposed to be highly drafted, tore his ACL, broke his back in college, got into a car accident, doesn't remember what happened, just remembers walking away from it, coming to the league, getting drafted in 2013. Uh, I want to say it was the fifth round because we drafted Jawan Jameson in the sixth round, uh, made made the team that year, tore his labrum in his shoulder in the Oakland game, which is the fourth game of the year, didn't want to say anything, went on IR week seven because he couldn't do the pain anymore. Comes back on practice squad until week 14 versus the Giants. He scores his first touchdown. Uh, come back after that, he makes the roster. And I look back now, the dude is just a man down there. And then, you know, ended up going to Jacksonville. But tribute to him and kudos to being an undersized guy, quote unquote, who was able to sustain an NFL experience based off his belief, his habits, and uh, really uh, creating a vision and a plan for himself versus what the narrative was for him. That's an excellent choice because I, I love Chris Thompson. He's a player that we really got to see progress really well throughout his career. Like you just mentioned, he came in, struggled with some injuries and stuff. And uh, But, I mean, he really carved out a nice career in D.C. for sure. Absolutely. And, and my last question for you today is I've heard you in another interview one time talk about how much of a fan you are of reading. And I wanted to know if you had any favorite authors or books that really have had a big impact on your life that you wanted to share. Yeah, man. So I started, I became an avid reader. Uh, I didn't really do it as much when I was playing and I missed out, to be honest. So um, John Maxwell, I think it is, he, uh, everyone communicates, but few connect. One of the things that I'm in, we're in a relationship. This is a relationship world. We say relationship business, relationship world. Like how many guys get actually hired? Um, when they say, you know, experience is not there, but, oh, I know the CEO, so I'm going to get an opportunity, you know? So uh, that book, Everyone Communicates, Few Connect. Outliers was another book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, it was a great, great, great book. Um, well, good leaders ask great questions. And then there was another one, uh, blanking on the name right now, but we were just talking about it last night. God dang it. It'll come back to me, but all good books, man. Really just talked about, you know, where we are. And, oh, it starts with the why. So just understanding the why with everything. It's a damn good book, man. Read it twice. Uh, damn good book. And uh, really just shaped up, like, everything that you want to do has to have a why or a need, regardless if it's work or it's personal, you know? So really honing in on what the why is, what the need is, and really pushing things through. This all sound, I've know a couple, I've heard of a couple of them, haven't read any, but I'll, I'll definitely have to check some of those out. Uh, before I let you go, I just want to say back, I think it was 2013, there was a game against Philly late in the year, and you scored two touchdowns that game, and I was at that game, and I left that game saying, Thrill Young is the best fullback ever. <laughs> yeah two touchdowns man i got in the fan's face and the funny thing is i didn't say anything to the fan i just uh i smiled and he said he said nice touchdowns like thank you but thank the picture is like a picture's worth a thousand words right and uh it looked like i was just speaking trash to him but uh i actually just smiled and i was like damn this i'm appreciative of the opportunity so all good all I know, good i know i'm speaking for all the listeners here when uh when i said we really appreciated your career and thank you for your time in dc and thanks for coming on and sharing some stories today I appreciate you, man. Thank you for the platform again. And, uh, you know, let me know how I can be of assistance. This is how we do. This is how we do. This how we do. Thanks again for, to Darrell Young for coming on the show today. He's someone that you get the sense that he's got a lot of wisdom built up in him over the years when you talk to him. So I really enjoyed having having conversation with him both on and off the air. Before I close up here, let me touch on a couple News updates. First off, Washington signed two players. Tyler Larson, depth offensive line piece. He's played mostly center. Um, I'm watching him as kind of a backup center, maybe a backup guard, and I think he might have some long snapping potential. I looked and couldn't find any record of him long snapping in college or in the NFL. But, you know, I think he probably has potential to do so. And one of the reasons uh, it's announced we're not going to re-sign our long-time long snapper, Nick Sundberg, is we're probably looking for someone that can actually contribute along the offensive line in a pinch as well. And although I love Nick Sundberg, he was a great long snapper for, I believe, nine seasons for us. You couldn't see him coming out there to play offensive line if we had to have him. And also we signed David Mayo, a middle linebacker. You know, he's a depth piece. He's played uh, in depth roles and special teams roles throughout his career. But two years seasons ago, he actually got significant playing time, I believe, in New York. And he had a pretty nice season, put up 80-plus tackles. So I think it's a nice little signing. He's got that Carolina connection, as does Tyler Larson. Both played in Carolina with Ron. This episode is going to be dedicated to Tiki and Ronde Barber. Uh, the Barber twins both were very, very good NFL players. Darrell mentioned Tiki Barber earlier. That's why I bring him up. And 
fun fact, my mom and the Barber brothers, they both went to the same high school. At different years, I believe. I don't think they overlapped at all, but it's from the same town, went to the same high school. Also, J.J. Reddick went to that high school, too. So, shouts out to Roanoke, Virginia. Produced a lot of talent. Um, and then how about the Washington Wizards? Okay, going to go out to Washington Wizards type, being the Utah Jazz, my second favorite team. I love Donovan Mitchell, but, you know, I was rooting for the Wizards, of course, and Jazz have the best record, but Wizards on a little bit of a slump after having a big hot streak, and we come in and beat the best team in the league. So can't argue with that. Let's go Wizards. Also going to give a quick little shout-out to Rex Grossman. A lot of former players talk so highly of Rex Grossman. It makes me wish I could go back and watch the Rex Grossman years again because I think I would have a lot more appreciation for him now, now that I'm older. But Chris Cooley, I've heard speak highly of him. Both Logan Paulson and Darrell Young brought him up as one of their favorite players they ever played with. So shouts out Sexy Rexy. I'd love to see you get another shot in the league one day, maybe make a, a very late comeback to your career. That would be something. Player of the episode, you already heard it. Darrell Young said him for Chris Thompson. Great career in, in, in D.C. He's still, he just played up in Jacksonville, down in Jacksonville this past season. He's a free agent right now. Maybe he'll be back. He's still, he hurt his back again. So he's struggled with injuries throughout his career. I'd love to see him continue his career if that's what he hopes to do. I love Chris Thompson. Everyone says he's just a great person. and uh, He's had, when Darius Geis got injured, uh, he there was an interview with him and he was crying on behalf of Darius Geis just because he was so hurt that Geis, he knew all the talent that Geis had had and I know we know different stuff about guys off the field now, but at the time, it was just it just really showed you how empathetic and caring and a good person Chris Thompson seems to be. And yeah, like I said, he was a beast on the field. Friend of the show, Dylan McFarlane, used to always say he's good for at least one 10-yard play a game. And by the end of his Washington tenure, he was good for more than one 10-yard play a game. He was a beast catching the ball out of the backfield. And he's just gone through so much injury-wise, both on and off the field. Love Chris Thompson. That's going to do it for me today, guys. Keep an eye on this on these your Twitter feed because there's going to be more signings coming through potentially. I think we're going to quiet down in this free agent market some, but you know Kyle Fuller just hit the market, and I love this been big on a DB again because that would give us a lot of flexibility. We could have Heyman Jackson be boundary corners, Kendall could play free safety, nickel, Cam Crow could play a little nickel. Then we got Collins, Reeves, DeShazer Everett to play strong safety, maybe a little free safety, bring in another free safety in the draft. I don't know. We're probably not going to bring in Kyle Fuller, but that would really open up this defense. Make sure to hit us for the follow on, on Twitter at Cobra Corner, just the name of the podcast, minus the S. And make sure to leave a review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen to. It helps recommend the show to other people. Uh, thanks for listening, guys.